This is Shane Holloway, one of Stephen Hall's all-time great. Here with my guys from Left Coast Pirates. Let's get it. Thornton will try to go all the way. seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead, guarded by Ochefu, gets the step into the lane, goes to the bucket, layup, rolls around and in, and a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California, he is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. It is March 13, 2022, and Mikey, oh my goodness, what a what a difference a day makes. La- yesterday, I'm sitting there wondering, how am I going to go through this podcast? I was so grumpy and irritated after the Big East tournament. I don't know how I was going to get through it. And then, magically, it just happened. California. That's right, Michael. The Pirates. They're coming to the left coast. That's right, Mike. They're coming out to San Diego, and I can't be happier. You might be in charge of, like, post-production stuff, but you should not be in charge of the editorial content that comes to this show. That That's how we started this episode? That's how really? we started it, baby. Oh, my God. Oh, geez. We're dating ourselves. Oh, unbelievable. It, it, you're, you're, you're right. It's It's ridiculous. How you go through these emotional highs and lows. I can't keep up with you. It literally was 24 hours ago when you call me up and you're like, I, I have to ask you, well, was this a no show this week? I, I read on the, on, on the websites out there that they no showed them. Am, am I wrong? Am I buying into this? I gave you a resounding no. And then you followed up with a question and you said to me, then explain to me why I feel the way that I do. So I, I know you're on cloud nine right now, but we're supposed to be recapping the Big East tournament and the two games we played against Georgetown and UConn, and you were as low as can be. And my first thought was, oh, crap. We're going to have to get Tom a uh, sports therapist here for Seton Hall basketball. It's ridiculous. You were you were just like jumping out of the phone depressed. But, but it made sense. You weren't completely off base with your emotions at that time after they bowed out of the Big East tournament on Thursday. You know, outside of the early non-conference nine and one start, you know, there's been a lot of frustrating games and even some hollow victories. You know, they played down to the competition many times. They've had a couple no-show efforts. They only beat a 0-20 Georgetown in the Big East by a combined 16 points with three victories this year. And they haven't really been competitive against UConn since that first game. So it, it kind of, the emotion kind of made sense. 
They trailed Georgetown by four with five minutes to play and needed a Jameer Harris bomb just to pull out the win. And then 18 points in the first half versus UConn was just a microcosm of the offensive struggles that we saw throughout this year. I I get it, Tom. It's frustrating. It's not fun basketball to watch. It's never fun to exit the Big East tournament quietly, especially versus a raucous UConn crowd. But I'm with you, baby. I'm getting to go to an NCAA tournament game in my backyard. Who would have thought it, Mike? And I don't even have to skip work. I'm hearing it's going to be a 7 p.m. tip out here, baby. That's great. We don't even need to get a whole pass from the wives. We get to go. Oh, I got to bring the wives, though. That's the problem. (laughs) Oh, man. She's in. I can't tell her no. But, I mean, I'm going to be sitting here, like, glued to this game. And they're going to go, who's that? Who's number 14? Who's that kid? Why is that kid's got his hand wrapped? No, wait, wait, why is that? What's that kid on the bench with the glasses? Is he going to play today? Cecilia will be happy as long as she sees uh, Jared Roden's pink sneakers. I'll tell you that. But, Mike, tell me this. We can combine both of these Big East tournament games because they kind of played the same way in both of them. So instead of going through it all and describing the monotony, why don't we just put it together and talk about what came out of these games as a combination? Yeah, because we got we got to try to stay positive going into the tournament here. I mean, the reality was these two games, you have the Seton Hall 57 to 53 win over Georgetown and the 62 to 52 setback against UConn. They, they just didn't make you feel positive and all you know warm and fuzzy inside heading into Selection Sunday. We knew we were going to hear our name called. We were hoping for a favorable matchup, potentially get off that that eight nine game. But after that performance versus UConn, you just kind of yeah, you kind of just got rubbed the wrong way. Okay, so Mike, so let's just dive right into this. I'm gonna start off with the blue tinted glasses right away because it's just gonna make me feel good watching you squirm a little bit. Because what happened, my man? Miles Kale said goodbye to MSG in style against Georgetown. He scored 14 points, grabbed six boards. He was six for 10 from the field in 37 minutes. We don't even have to bring out the lockdown defense that Miles plays because that's just a given at this point. And then one of the only bright spots on offense against UConn. He goes for 17 points, six boards. He's seven for 10 from the field in another 37 minutes. Go ahead, Mike. Try to rain on my parade. Miles Kale said, I'm the super senior. I'm going to try to get this team on my back and try to get them to the next round. Are you done? No. Are you, are you, are you over yourself yet? Are you over yourself yet? Over myself? What a set of games Miles had. Of, of course he had. He was the only guy who really showed up on both nights. I, I got nothing else to say in a negative light. I had no way to diminish it. Miles stepped up. He just he needed somebody else to step up along with him uh, to a bigger extent. I mean, he got a decent performance from Roden in the first one. And he really didn't get anything else in game two. It's, it's kind of unfortunate. It's amazing how throughout his career, him and Miles Powell have played phenomenal in the guards. Just something about those the Miles lights, boys. Those bright lights, Mike. He doesn't shy away from them. But he has other games and he disappears. He doesn't absolutely, disappear from MSG. Yeah, but like, Don't bring those up no this sense. week, though. Don't bring Look, those I, up this week, Michael. Hopefully, hopefully Miles kind of sees, I mean, it's just an MSG thing. He sees the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of his career kind of winding down. This is it. You got the NCAA tournament. 
He had his last Big East tournament, maybe sitting there kicking into another gear, and he's going to seize the moment. I mean, I was I was really happy for him. I, I wish, like I said, he would have gotten a deeper run in the Big East tournament. It just didn't work out. But on paper, Miles went out strong, and, and he should be proud of his effort. What also Seton Hall should be proud of is the effort that they brought defensively. And to me, Tom, this is why I rebutted you on that little one-off phone call saying, no, it wasn't a no-show. You were just so dejected by such a lackluster offensive performance that what we did defensively for two nights kind of got overshadowed. The defense was fantastic. They held two Big East opponents to a combined 57.5 points per game, 33% from the floor, 31% from behind the line, five and a half steals, eight blocks per game. Obiagu had 12. There's nothing wrong with this team's defense. And the defense travels. It's traveled on the road to Creighton. It traveled to the Big East tournament. If you want to take positives out of that Big East tournament, even though it was only two games, is that the defense will hopefully continue to travel into the Big East tournament. It did in the non-conference slate against Texas and Michigan and even against Rutgers. I have confidence that that's going to continue to manifest itself in a positive way. So, it, yeah, it sucked we lost, but those were really good takeaways defensively from those two games. And, and, you know, it wasn't surprising against Georgetown, especially after Dante Harris went down. I mean, you, you've you got some guys on the Georgetown side that can shoot the ball a little bit and score, but Dante Harris drives that offense. But against UConn, hey, we might not have been scoring, but we kept the game relatively close for most of the evening on the strength of that defense. And what a job we did against Adama Sanogo. I mean, he killed us in the first two outings this year, and he was almost a non-entity on the offensive side. He grabbed his rebounds, but he was not scoring the basketball. No, no. What do you have, only six points in that game? I mean, let me, let me take a quick peek here. Adama Sanogo in that game. Six points on two of 11 from the floor, and he logged 35 minutes. I mean, that's a stout effort by the defense. They just they just couldn't find a way to put the ball in the basket. But, yeah, they, they did what they needed to do. If you hold UConn to 62, you're going to have a chance to beat them. It just wasn't our night offensively. But, like I said, I thought you diminished their effort with your – your hot take right away or your your lack of understanding of where your emotions were at. And I don't lost know what of kind fact. of hot take you're talking about. It's two no friends show. on I was on a no show. Wait, I didn't put it out on Twitter. I didn't say it on a podcast. It was I didn't out there on so Rivals. Spaces. So, I some guy put just, it out there you know, on Rivals and he got lambasted. He got lambasted. That's not I me. Just, That's some guy. All right, but, but you know, uh, another thing that did not get enough credit are the onions that Harris had on the three-point shot that he took. I mean, that that was just I, – I, I don't even go back to play it. Did Raph say onions? I mean, that's, a, that's a classic Raph onions moment, was it not? Uh, or, that, that's, or double uh, order? That's a, yes, that's a double order of onions right there for Raph. I mean, but put it into perspective. He's two for seven on the night. I know his two makes were three-pointers, but he's still two of seven from the floor, and he doesn't hesitate on a 30-foot three-point attempt late in the shot clock trailing by a point and he puts them up by two and essentially puts Seton Hall in a position to win that game as they hold on down the stretch. If you watch that, that whole sequence play out, Jared is trying to beat his guy off the dribble and he just can't do it. And he passes it back to Harris in just pure desperation of, I got nothing. I got nothing. And Harris just didn't hesitate, man. I, I thought that was just a phenomenal play on his part. If, if the shot doesn't go in, 
We're criticizing Willard. We're criticizing Roden. We're saying to Harris, how could you take that shot with six seconds to go? But ice water in his veins, that was pretty cool. That's one of those you're going to look back and remember classic Seton Hall Big East tournament moments, that shot specifically. You, you know, outside of Miles Kale's performance, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, positives to take out of the UConn game. But I'll tell you this, Mike, I'm going to go in in a different fashion. You know, earlier on, you were talking about my roller coaster of emotions, and that's how I watch these games. I go up, I go down, I get high, I get low. But you know what the good news is, Mike? The hate is back. Oh, I was worried that after Wojo got fired from Marquette, who was I going to hate in the Big East? Oh, Danny Hurley and the Huskies came in, and boy, did they say, don't worry about it, Tom. I got this. Hold my beer. You can hate us again. That entire team is so unlikable on a personal level, man. They play on an edge, you know, and, and they mimic Hurley's sideline histrionics. I mean, oh my goodness. He's just diving in after everything. They're on an edge, Mike. And and I'll tell you what, man, they go a slight step over. They're going to fall apart because Andre Jackson, Tyrese Martin, they're almost looking like they're trying to punk somebody out. And you know what made it better, Mike? The fans are just as obnoxious. They're crazy. Hey, I got a, a tweet from someone on the Seton Hall dance team. They saw UConn fans dumping beer on cheerleaders and, and dance team members. You know, they're back. They're back, Mike. We can hate them. Get on the buses from stores. Come on down. We can hate you again. Of course you're going to get on those buses. There's nothing to do with stores. I love it, Mike. Thank goodness some hate is back. Be careful. Be careful. Tread lightly here. You don't want to be slanderous. I think you're like one step from calling these guys thugs. Just just be careful no, where no, you no, go no, here. No, 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 that's not where I'm going. I, I don't believe in that thuggish, uh, thuggish descriptions. But, Mike, those guys are on the line. They're yeah, just they're, on that they're, thin they're, line they're, that they can go over and lose their minds for a second. They play a hard nose in your face style of basketball that, like you said, absolutely represents the style of their coach. Their coach is going to be in your face to the refs in your face to the crowd. He's not going to back down to a challenge. You better get us now because it's coming. He's looking for the fight. At the end of the day, you love the hate. It's good for the Big East. I don't know oh, if it's absolutely. good for Seton Hall, but it's absolutely good for the Big East. You need that antagonist. You need that that black hat for someone to wear because that builds up the rivalry, that builds up the animosity, and it makes those games that much more intense. You, you, you want irony, Mike? I'll give, give you a little bit of irony. When Danny Hurley played for Seton Hall way back when, you know, he took a lot of guff. I'm, I'm telling you, it was it was shameful how much, like, pressure we put on him as a fan base because he wasn't Bobby Hurley. He was Danny Hurley. And, and his his expression on the court was almost like he didn't care. Of course he cared. Of course he played hard, but he had this look on his face and the mannerisms like, you know what? I don't really care. This is just how it is. And now he's just, just this fireball. He's just this, I mean, ready to explode. I could only imagine if that's how he played for the hall, how much we would have loved it even more. They say that college makes you into the man that you grow up to become. Are you trying to say 
that our fans to turn him into who he was? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just finding it (laughs) ironic about how he was perceived before and now how he kind of coaches. I, I Look, I like Danny as a coach. He's the absolute opposite of Kevin Willard, and everyone's got their own style, but I like the fiery coach on the sideline. People criticize Bobby. Bobby had his flaws, but I like the coach that makes coffee nervous. I, I like that high energy coach running up and down the sidelines, you know, get almost kind of out of the box onto the court asking to be teed up. I, I like that. So you're right. I, it, it was good for the entertainment factor, for the hate factor. I'm just going to say it's good overall. And it's technically good to have UConn fans back in the garden in terms of pumping up the atmosphere to another level. Oh, I mean, it was just God, phenomenal. Watch. God, I hate them. This you can great. hate, man. You can hate. That's oh, fine. Speaking feel- of hate, Tommy. Let's transition over to Sour Grapes and Gripes. And that's how you do a transition, by the way. Okay. Really slow starts for the Pirates in both of these games. Let's start with the Georgetown effort. They were out-rebounded 28-16. to They were 3 of 11 from three-point range. Jackson gets three quick fouls. I don't even know how many minutes he played in that first. They played like five minutes with those three fouls. They had six turnovers. And if you weren't named Richmond or Kale, the team combined for two of 17. That, that hurts, man. Uh, you that hurts. You're, it, it, you're worried about the UConn first half? That was pretty painful. If they don't end the first half on a 7-0 run, they're going down into the half versus Georgetown double digits. Double digits. You know, and ironically, again, we're a big team, Mike. I mean, we're not the third biggest team in the country, but we're still in the top 10 in average size. I mean, we are large. I mean, it, when you look at the starting five, you got six, six and above, and and we don't board well for our size. Because yeah, height doesn't always translate to rebounding. No, Come I on. realize this, but you should be doing a better job of it if you are that big. I, I'm going to go off on tangents with analogies. Dennis Rodman was no big behemoth in terms of size or height. He was six, it's, eight. That's a good size guy. He was the worm. They called him the worm for a reason. He's skinny and wiry, and he'd rebound over guys that he has no business rebounding over. Rebounding is about positioning. It's about understanding where the ball is going to come off the rim. It's about desire. It's about wants. And you could say it. Our bigs play soft times in terms of rebounding. And look, you got to box out. They're, they're the fundamental of boxing out makes a huge difference, and we just don't box out. We year watch the year, basketball. Year in, year out, Mike. But, you know, if we started slow against Georgetown, oh, Kevin said hold my beer because we did a worse job of starting against UConn. 18 points in the first half, man. The lowest scoring half of the year. We shot 25% from the floor. And, oh, those inside-the-huddle moments with that Fox puts over our shoulders, I hate them when Kevin Willard talks because he's like, see, I told you they were going to come out strong because they didn't play the night before. Oh, my goodness, we're in the second game of the Big East tournament, and we're already talking about fatigue. No, he's got it backwards, though. That, that's what drove me nuts with that inside-the-huddle comment. Normally, the team that played the night before has gotten the jitters out. They're familiar with the court. They're into a flow. So that that team that played the night before normally comes out the first five or eight minutes and smacks the other team in the face before the other team wakes up and gets into the flow of the tournament. And Willard's telling his guys the opposite. He's like, I told you. I told you they're going to come out and kick our ass in the first eight minutes. (laughs) What is going on? We're not even doing deep thoughts with Kevin Willard yet. What are you doing to me? 
that, oh. that that segment drove me nuts but that sets the demeanor for how they come out of the locker room to play that half he set them up for they're probably going to smack you in the face the first five to eight minutes when hey they got to get their feet underneath them they got to get into the flow let's build off of last night and take it to them right away you get what you get when you come in with that attitude and they had another poor effort against UConn in the first half and that kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. It just did. And what added to that lackluster effort was the production that we got from the four and five spots on the floor. I mean, we were so we were celebrating them last week about what they gave us off the bench, what they gave us down low. And this past week, ah, it didn't quite happen. Alexis Yetna. Oh, my goodness. If he takes one more three-pointer, Mike, I'm going to put my head through a wall. Give him his due first. Give him his due first. He did put up some respectable numbers offensively and on the boards before you beat him up. No, he, give him he, credit for his five and a half uh, points per game. Five and a, and you're giving and a half. him respect for five and what, a half when points I compare him, game? When I compare him to what the other three did collectively, five and a half is going to look superior Compared you know, to what everybody else did. Obviously, Alexis always boards. I mean, that's one thing. You wanted the kid that gets good position, the guy that has good desire to grab those boards, you can't complain about Yetna. But he decided he was going to be some, you know, uh, deep bomber. This I, I thought we had Darius Lane back on the court all of a sudden. He, he that's, not, that's not a fair comparison. Call him Jeff Robinson if you're going to do that. I mean, come on. <laughs> Well, I'm just thinking mad bomber right now. He shot four of 17. He went, he officially was listed as one of seven from three. But let me tell you something. I think the box score missed a few more shots from the Georgetown game. I had him at one for nine. Uh, did he have his toe on the line? I don't know. But he, he jacked a ton from deep and one for seven. I didn't have the time to go back and watch the game a second time this week. Nor did I have the desire to watch those games a second time. But there's no way he was only one of seven and only what, three in the first game. No way. No way. He shouldn't be taking 17 shots predominantly from the perimeter. We need him down on the block. And we just need better production, not just from him, but the collective front line. What Fant and I said, hey, if you sign up the front four or the those four guys that play the four in the five spot, for a collective 25 points and somewhere in the 15 rebound area, Seton Hall is going to be a pretty dangerous team. They'll be holding their own in the front court. And that's what we needed. We needed uh, to hold our own in the front court against UConn. And what you got in just the two games combined is not even acceptable to hold your own in one game. Jackson, Obiago, and Samuel. Tom, five points total between the two games. 16 rebounds. Eh. Two of 15. Seven turnovers one assist i just seton hall is not going to do much in the ncaa tournament if that is the production that you get offensively and in terms of controlling the glass from your big four that are going to play the four in the five spot because let's be honest kevin doesn't deviate he play takes those 80 minutes and splits them between those four guys only samuel and, and obiago at the five and trey jackson and alexis yetn at the four he doesn't have any variations in those minutes. It's straight down the middle. After the Georgetown game, uh, Grant Billmeyer actually got interviewed in a post game by Gary and Dave. And, you know, you get a little different feel uh, when Grant shows up. It seems like the questions get ratcheted up just a little bit. And actually, Dave Popkin 
actually asked a really interesting question. So this week, Mike, I don't want to do deep thoughts with Kevin Willard. What I want to do is... And now, Deep Thoughts with Grant Billmeyer. Oh, this should be fun. This should be good. Hit me with what Grant said. I didn't get a chance to hear it yet. Well, like I said, the tone of the questions even change a little bit. So let's hear what Dave Popkin asked him about the Seton Hall bigs. What is the theory behind letting Yetna and Samuel shoot the ball? I mean, it, it seems like those guys have been cold for the whole second half of the season from downtown. Possessions you can't get back. He was open, obviously, a couple times, but uh, unable to connect. You know, the thing about Alexis is he, even though he's not shooting a great percentage, he's made a lot of big ones. Case in point, uh, this past Saturday at Creighton, we're down two. He made a huge shot by our bench. So he has the confidence. And one thing we don't want to do, we don't want to limit our guys. And, you know, we have, we have confidence Alexis is going to step up and make shots. <laughs> Where do we start here? Wow. Uh, can I pick well, on Dave first? So can I pick on Dave first? The, the theory? What's the theory? Be- How about what's the strategy behind taking these shots? What's the theory? You're going to write a thesis on this? Well, what's go- well, come oh, on, come Dave. Come on, leave poor Dave alone. He had a tough, he had a tough question in good his question, back though. pocket. It's a good, it's a good question. He's, he's, he's pretty blunt and being like, look, let's face it. They really haven't hit the broadside of a barn for the entire second half of the year. Do you like Grant's defense of the at this point? Or, I mean, could he sit there and say, yeah, you know what? If it's open, he's got to take it. But maybe we got to find a better way to get these guys more looks inside. Could he have said that? You know, no, I don't really. I, I like the answer. I mean, Grant was ready with an answer. He he, he delivered it well, but I, I'm not a big fan of it. Why is Alexis Yetna just floating out there? That's an offensive strategy at that point. He's not making these shots you need to make some adjustments and get his big butt down by the basket. So, I mean, you don't want him out there. So why is he continuously going out there? And of course he's wide open. He's shooting something like 22% for the season, Michael. You beat me to it. Both, both guys collectively are shooting 22% or under. The theory, Dave, is the other teams want them to shoot that shot. You know, they're being left open for a reason. Uh, you know, Kevin Willard has done this in the past where he's like, look, I want certain guys to take those shots. And if they make a couple, we're going to live with that because I want them to jack up five or six for the game. And I don't want to get hurt from them playing inside the paint and getting to the basket and putting us in foul trouble. That's what our guys should be doing. You know, even if you don't make a shot inside, you're creating opportunities for offensive rebounds. Other guys can get better looks. It, you just play inside out differently. It's almost like giving up a possession if you're going to let them hit that shot or attempt that shot because they are not hitting it that often. Look, we joked. It was a no-no yes moment versus Creighton that that Grant is describing. It, it, it was clutch. But in the moment, you were like, no! Yes. <laughs> but that, that can't be the offensive philosophy. It just can't be. No, and you know, I, 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 Tyrese Samuel is my boy. You know, I love Tyrese, but he potentially had the worst shot I've seen all season when he took a three from the wing and it hit the top of the backboard. It didn't hit the side of the backboard. It didn't hit the front of the backboard. It literally hit the top of the backboard. And at that point, if that's what your three pointer looks like, you can't be taking that shot anymore. Oh, it was late in the game. That was the Georgetown game, right? I believe so. And we were still trailing at that point. And that was like, whether it was under four minutes, under two minutes, that was a crucial moment in the game and it had no chance. 
no chance. And if you that poorly from the baseline, it normally opens up the other team for easy runouts because you have a very unbalanced floor at that time. Like I speaking about balance, these guys got to get in the paint because the balance we're getting on the rebounding, which is probably the bigger takeaway. Forget about shooting and point production. If our bigs could clean the glass, we can be in these low 50 type games. It's not fun to watch, but they could win that way. You can't get out rebounded by Georgetown to a minus 12 or UConn to a minus 13. And on top of that, give up 13 and 14 rebounds respectively to Georgetown and UConn in back-to-back games. You can't give these other poor executing offensive teams that many more looks at the basket. That should be our approach. Our approach is we can't shoot the basketball. Let's get extra looks. Don't let your opponent do it. So I'm okay if we're going to win games in the tournament or try to win games in the tournament in the low 60s, but the attention to detail has to be there specifically on the glass. Well, what's funny is, again, in that interview after Georgetown, they ask about the offensive rebounds that they gave up, and Grant came back and said, well, it's going to have to be a point of emphasis for the next game. Well, obviously that didn't happen because UConn did exactly what they wanted on the offensive glass. I just thought UConn brought a different level of intensity, right? And then that's and that's another part of the my criticism for our front court. Jackson, Samuel, I mean, I don't question yet in his intensity, but even sometimes Ike, when he goes back up for an offensive rebound, the level of intensity is just not there. And UConn played at a much higher level of intensity versus us in this game. It felt like they wanted it more. They extended their defense out on us. It, you just felt like they were being outclassed in terms of the game plan execution they had length they had talent they had desire and they came with a nasty attitude defensively that was just one level above us and and it showed well we left the worst for last i guess but the offensive continuity for both of these games were lacking mike i mean you gotta you gotta call it for what it is georgetown is not a good team and it there's no good reason why we can only put 57 points on the board, even if we get our starting point guard limited to basically only the first half. And I, that's not fair. I, you lose Kadari for an entire half, and you're not prepared to play those kind of men. I know they did it in the Creighton game, and they, they found a way to push through, but you're asking Harris to play that kind of uh, productive minutes at the point guard? He's good in a pinch. He's good to give Kadari a blow as he slides over from the two. But look at those two games, the Creighton game that you're kind of alluding to, right? Creighton, he has one assist, two turnovers in 37 minutes. In the Georgetown game, he has two assists, two turnovers for 27 minutes. I'm not criticizing Harris's play, but you can't go an entire game without a point guard. I like the fact that Harris can play some point guard, maybe give him 10 or 15 minutes in that role because they got nobody else. And I thought it was going to be a lot worse. So Harris has been you know, competent, but that that's about it. You lose Kadari, this team has no chance to put up any big numbers offensively. They just don't. And if he's not going to give you a breakout effort like he did against UConn the first time at home, then you got to get something from Jared Roden. And Roden gives you seven points in the UConn game, and that's being generous. I know he scored seven, but the reality is he scored two. He was one of 12 from the floor with two minutes to go in the game, two points, he gets a foul, or two free throws, and then he hits a three with under under 60 seconds to play. I don't count those points. Do you count those points? 
Well, Those points know, were meaningless. I, I told you during the game, we had it over under 47 and a half points for Seton Hall to score. So once Harris and Roden hit those three at the end of the game, oh, we were very disappointed in that. But, you know, again, I, I bring this back to coaching. You see that Roden cannot beat his guy off the dribble. He's getting forced into really difficult step back jumpers that are front rimming every shot seemed like it was get hitting that front rim where's the adjustment mike you I gotta did, I, do I, something I, different you put jared in, you put jared in the post but this is the worst matchup to put jared in the post he's trying to back down bigger stronger opponents that have length forcing him to kind of lean back take the fade away and come up short the the whole offensive philosophy the theory offensively in this game was horrendous. You love that you, theory. You love uh, that theory. Just, I like, come on, Dave. It's, it's, like, it's like, yeah, Bellissimo, cheers. Uh, we got a Molson and a Martini on the court. I, I, I like Dave, but he has his moments. Uh, anyway, uh, going back to Jared, he, I, I feel bad for Jared. Coming off that first team all Big East selection, there's probably a bigger expectation to be like, hey, he's the guy who's going to carry Seton Hall potentially deep into the Big East tournament or – He's going to be the guy who's going to have the big moment if they're going to make that type of run. And I think Jared puts that extra pressure on himself. So that combined with the position Willard put him in offensively, he was doomed to fail. Having an off night, can't beat his guy off the dribble, can't back down a bigger player in the post. Where was Jared getting his looks from? Where? But Mike, none of this was a surprise. This is the third time we've played UConn. This isn't like we got a bad scout in the NCAA tournament on a team no one's really seen. This is this wasn't surprising, Mike. You've got to be ready for this kind of uh, this kind of situation. You know Tyrese Martin how he's going to play. You know Andre Jackson's going to play. So why are you not coming up with hey, Roden can't get his shot off here. He can't get by him. We've got to get him some easier looks somehow. I don't even know if we have to get him easier looks. I just think we have to run the offense through Kadari. Maybe we got to do a little inside out with Yetna. And I keep on saying, can Jared just get his shots within the flow of the game? There's no flow of the offense. We don't have an offensive system that's going to just get easy shots at this point. But Jared just can't force things. Hey, maybe the lack of familiarity in the matchup against TCU. I don't know TCU that well. I don't know who their lockdown defender is. But maybe Jared gets matched up on a guy who's not an all-league defender and Jared can have an easier way getting to his mid-range shot. Right now, the Big East teams have scouted Jared. They know his, his strengths. They know to his go-to move. And maybe the unfamiliarity of conference play, like Jared, you know, flourished in the non-conference, maybe that will kind of get him going and he could have a run of a couple games for Seton Hall to make some noise. But I don't think the offense should start their Jared. That should be the takeaway again here from this UConn game is get back to your point guard, moving the basketball, breaking down the defense and opening things up for other guys. It's going to come back to Kadari Richmond. And is he going to be healthy? Can't be missing. You can't be banging his hand, you know, reaching in and then being out for a half a game or be shaking it the entire time and turning the ball over because he's in a lot of pain. They need to have Kadari lead the way and get Jared into the right spot. Didn't even bring it up. But Kadari played some 
brave minutes in this second in this game against UConn. I mean, he really toughed it out. I didn't. I didn't even. To be honest, I didn't even expect him to play after you sit him the second half of the Georgetown game. I mean, what possibly could have changed between the second half of the Georgetown game and and the start of the UConn game at that point? I, I like the mindset of, hey, at, at this point, if the way they reported the injury, and hey, we normally never get the injuries reported accurately, but they said at this point, it's not going to get any better. It's more of a pain management situation. He wanted to come back in and play the second half of the Georgetown game. I'm more than okay with sitting him out and resting him at that point. But if they make the conscious decision that, hey, look, this is what he's going to have to deal with the rest of the year, and hey, he gives it his best effort in the UConn game and it can go, He's going to have to have that same mindset going into the NCAA tournament. He's going to have to pain manage if he bangs it up a little bit. They're going to have to keep an eye on it. And if he truly is a detriment to the team's success, they're going to have to go off the court and do what they did in the Creighton game. But you got to give him a chance to try to go out there and push through it at this time of the year. You just have to. So what he did was commendable. And I also like the decision that the staff made to play him against UConn. I really do. Well, that UConn game offensively was painful to watch. You know, we did say they scored 52 points, but again, they had 46 with 60 seconds left to play. Uh, Harris and Roden hit two late three-point shots that that brought the point total over 50 points. But it, it was painful, Mike. You know, it could it could have been worse, man. There was a the semifinals. Uh, I forget I forget the tall. What's it? The Conference USA. Louisiana Tech and North Texas, they finished the final score of that game, 42 to 36. You want to poke your eyeballs out? Yeah, I would, that would have been a tough game to watch. 42 to 36, Tom, in, in tournament competition to go to the NCAA tournament. Semifinals, two wins away. North Texas was projected to be a 12 seed, well, and they gave you a 36 spot. How would you feel if you're a fan of North Texas? Well, to be honest here, the finals of the Big East tournament, at least the first half, wasn't exactly some uh, a joy to watch either because Creighton and Villanova were were, were shooting the ball just like Seton Hall was but this they other night. In the second half, they yes. did a heck of a basketball they game did. In, in the second half. And if, if we, and anybody was going to question Colin Gillespie winning the Big East Player of the Year, I think he shut everybody up with once again closing out that game. That, that kid's special. I, I know there's some people that don't like his game, but I, I really enjoyed watching the end of that Big East tournament game between Creighton and Nova. I was clearly rooting for Creighton. My son's sitting there rooting for Nova. But what I really enjoyed the most was kind of watching the garden. We're going to get to that a little bit later on, but, man, that was that was some good I basketball. I can't believe you've allowed your son to – you might, can't break oh, the mold. I can't break the mold right now. It's, that, it's you know, killing I think me. That is just a Mike flop there as a parent, Michael. Oh, jeez. You could have just said, you know what else is killing me? You know what else is killing me? Listening to Timmy Brando on the mic. And I, this, I'm going to go to our social media post of the week, and I'm going to go to SHU Source on Rivals. And he said, bear with me here, because you might not like this entire take here. On Timmy Brando, historically, I've enjoyed him but he's getting a little long in the tooth. None of us are getting younger for that matter. And his performance has suffered. Even Rafferty, who I love, who doesn't, has kind of declined this season, particularly over the second half. It seems rather sudden too. He's always seemed ageless. I, I, I totally agree with his take on Timmy Brando, but there was a little bit of that in there and I don't completely disagree with it. You know, 
I look at Raph as one of those kind of aging pitchers where, you know, a couple miles per hour might be coming off that fastball, but he's cagey, he's crafty, and he's still enjoyable. I watched the Purdue-Iowa game today, and him and Grant Hill, oh, it was just like peanut butter and jelly. They did such a great game together. I, I thought he was great. You know, I I don't know what you want from Raph, and not every game is gonna be you know the greatest thing you've ever heard. I I, I enjoy Raph. Damn you! You stole my line. I watched the Indiana Purdue game that he called with Hill Nance, and I thought they I thought they gelled. They they got a nice little dynamic there. So maybe Bill at this point needs to be that that third guy in the booth just to kind of add a little flavor. But uh, maybe running it's solo, just Brando pulling him down here. You know, <laughs> maybe that's what's going on. He, he didn't feel like he was his A game either with Gus Johnson. But don't get me started on Gus Johnson lately. So you didn't want to listen to the games this week, but you still have to sit there and watch, regardless of how poor the play is, because you never know when a moment's just going to sneak up on you and say, "Whoa, did you see that?" Oh, and man. all of a sudden, Jared Roden goes down the right lane and elevates, and he's normally either just like just above the rim or he's landing up boom he cuffed that thing in a defender's face for georgetown i forgot who it was but that was kind of like an out of your seat where has that been for the last four years he never kind of gets in the defender's chest and throws it down with any kind of veracity he'll throw a duck down or two but normally when he's uh unabated to the basket i mean this time he was just like no one's stopping me from throwing this one down i that was a pretty cool moment for me early in the Georgetown game. I thought that was going to spark Jared to go off for a bigger performance. He was decent, but I thought he was going to have a blow-up game after he threw that down. You, you know, the rest of that game and then the UConn game kind of took the shine off that moment for me. And at the risk of being negative about the fan base again, I know we caught a lot of flack last week for, for banging on the fan base for not showing up for senior night on time. But where were the Seton Hall fans at no, these games? I'm not doing it, Tom. Not going to do it. We're not going. We're not going to beat up on the fans again. This, this, I, I'm this not, one, I, I'm just asking. This the biggest tournament. I, I, I'll line up with the excuses on this one. They were not guaranteed to have that ticket on Thursday night, and we almost lost the Georgetown game. So you're asking the fans to buy a ticket for a, a non-guaranteed game at the 9:30 start, and that game didn't even start at 9:30. That game started at 10:15. It is still a weeknight. People have to go to work the next day. You got to get out of the city. That's an after midnight finish. And the fans that were there, you could pick on them all they want. The, the Seton Hall team did not give them anything to cheer about. And on top of that, they're probably like a 10 to one UConn attendance gap versus what we were able to bring to the. That, that's just that's just the reality of what it's going to be. But Michael, you for, you I thought the it was Syracuse a weekday. I thought it was a weeknight. Why would the UConn fans get on a bus and go all the way down to New York City from stores? Because Mike, the UConn stop fans have been, the they've been salivating. They've you've been got, salivating for this opportunity. You've got a thirty-minute train ride from South Orange into New York City. Stop it. Go to the games. You need to realize that this is a state school. It's a larger attendance base. They're going to have a bigger alumni base. And there's a different buy-in to their basketball program than what we have with Seton Hall. I am never going to challenge the diehard Seton Hall fan. There are more casual Husky fans than there are Seton Hall fans. And let's be honest, they're playing a better brand of basketball than us. 
They're ranked in the top 25. They're back in the Big East tournament for the first time in God knows how long. This is their home away from home. They had this circled on their calendar. Seton Hall fans did not. They just didn't, Tom. You're you're diminishing what the garden was all about. So if there was a woe did you see that moment, it was just watching the garden rock, no matter who took the floor during that tournament, whether it was St. John's pushing Villanova to the to the limit, Creighton waxing the floor with Providence, the bloodbath between UConn and Villanova. And I'm watching that game once again with my son for the Big East title. And when the announcers actually shut up and just let the crowd do their thing, my son was like, wow, what? listen to that sound. The garden just rocked. And, and that's, that's something special about our conference tournament that, to be honest, you didn't see in the ACC tournament out at the Barclays. You don't see it some of these other conference tournaments. There's something special about the Big East tournament, 40 years at the garden, that I think we're kind of taking for granted. It's, it's a whoa, did you see that moment to be there. If I was simply a basketball fan in the moment, Mike, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. But right now, I've got this blue sweatshirt on that says Seton Hall University basketball. I don't care if those hicks from stores oh, got boy. on their buses and drove down. I don't Slanderous, care. Slanderous, Tommy. If those guys that don't even really have a campus out there in Queens took the train down to Madison Square Garden to watch. I don't care about any of it. Who's the bah humbug now? Who's I the bah just humbug care now? about the Seton Hall fans not showing. Okay, Mike, enough talk about UConn. Enough talk about those fans. Let's talk about what we came here to celebrate. Seton Hall coming out to the West Coast as an eight seed, meeting up with ninth seed Texas Christian University. Right now, Mike, just as of right this second, Seton Hall opens as a one-point favorite in the game. Who are the Horned Frogs? Well, they finished off the season 20 and 12. They were 8 and 10, good for fifth in the Big 12. An old friend is coaching to Mike, Jamie Dixon, made his bones out there in Pitt. He's leading the Horned Frogs these days. Before we go any deeper on TCU, you're okay with the 8 seed we got? I mean, you just jumped right into the matchup. People were dying for a 7 seed to potentially avoid the 8-1 game. And you're just so blinded by the fact that we get to go that you're that you're happy with the eight nine seed. Uh, uh, no, no, it's, there's no happy or sad or disappointed. It's what we earned. Well, I was about to say, do you, do you think they got it right by giving the Pirates an eight seed? It, I, I think it, they it did. It smells right. I mean, what what did you want? Win some of those games during the Big East season that you lost, that you shouldn't have lost, and we don't have this conversation. Play better in the Big East tournament, and maybe you don't end up falling back into the eight seed. What I, part I of that? I, what part of that win against Georgetown did anyone think we were going to keep that at seven seed? I, I think holding serve held, you know, just gave them the chance to play UConn with a chance to get the seven seed. I thought the minute they lost. The game against UConn, they were they were in trouble. I mean, let, let's look at the seven seed real quick. Are you really upset with Michigan State being a seven seed? They they knock off Wisconsin in the Big Ten tournament. I got no issues with them being a seven. I told you Murray State the minute that they won their conference tournament at 32 record, 27 and two against Division One teams. I got no issue with Murray State, right? 
After that, on the other side of the draw, you got USC. They've been on the top 25 the entire season. I know they've tailed off, but they kind of fell from a five down to the seven. So I got no issues there. And then Ohio State, you could make the argument that they really fell off at the end of the year, but they still beat us head to head. So, I mean, I really don't have an issue with Seton Hall falling to the eight line. Do you? No, I told you this. This is about right where we belong. Even this big winning streak toward the end of the season that everyone's, uh, you know, jumping up and down saying, look how strong Seton Hall finished. How many real quality wins did we really have? Creighton? Maybe Xavier, who didn't make the tournament at all? The rest were the bottom dregs of the Big East. These are the guys you're supposed to beat. So I'm not going to get overly excited and bang my feet on the ground about it. I, I don't disagree. You want to talk about quality wins? TCU at number 15, Iowa State. Number 19, LSU. Number 9, Texas. Number 6, Kansas. That's a list of quality wins. I mean, Seton Hall's got a few on their resume, but you know that's what an 8-9 resume kind of looks like. They got 8 quad 1 wins. They got 8 quad 1 losses. They got a strength of schedule that's inflated by the Big 12 that's 10th overall in the country. But they also played a, a soft non-conference, 267 nationally ranked. It, it, it just feels like an 8-9 matchup, these two teams. I, I got no issue with how things are lined up, but I, I don't really know much about TCU. They didn't really have a bad loss this year. I know you got on the, the note sheet here, early loss to Santa Clara, but Santa Clara was respectable out in the WCC. They were. They were the three seed in their conference tournament. And San Francisco made it as the, the four seed from their, their conference uh, as the regular season finished up. For, so Santa Clara is no you know a horrendous loss, per se. You said earlier, we don't know a whole lot about TCU, but we actually have a little bit we could talk about about common opponents. Earlier in the season, TCU traveled out to D.C., ended up beating Georgetown 80-73, to which is basically in line with how we beat Georgetown all season long. They also happen to play Texas three times this season, going one and two. So, you know, we've got a little commonality in the schedules. I don't know what to make of any of that. Come out. We got the players. All right, so there's Mike Miles, 15 points a game. He's a sophomore, shooting guard, 6'1". Emmanuel Miller, junior forward, 10 points, 6.3 rebounds. Damian Ball, another junior guard, 6'3", 10 points a game four assists, four rebounds. I don't know anything about these guys. I watched them play once. And for Schiller, who said, you know what? You got to be careful about this TCU team. I like them because of Miles and Baugh. When you get into the NCAA tournament, you need strong guard play. And these guys are uh, nasty. They're, they're tenacious. They attack the basket. They strong guard play. But they're not going to beat you from the three-point line, Tom. They're just not, right? I mean, but let's go over what they do well and things that they don't do well to kind of give the fans some kind of insight. But but I haven't had the eye test on for too many games this year. Go ahead. You you tell me what they do well. Well, they, they bored the heck out of things. I mean, on the offensive glass, they're 11th in the country with 12.9 per game. Total rebounding, no, no slouches, 32nd in the country at 38.7 per game. And hey... They block the shots real well as well. 4.2 a game, good for 65th in the country. All right, and, and then they have their weaknesses. They're, they're a very up-and-down team. I don't think they had any prolonged winning streaks outside of the non-conference against a cupcake schedule. They were, they were pretty much up and down in the, the Big 12 slate. They were 8-10, and 10, right? I mean, it kind of makes sense. 326th 
in three-point field goals made per game, 330th in three-point field goal percentage at 30.4%, and they only score at a 68.1 points per game clip, and they also turn the ball over a lot, 14 and a half a game. That's 39th most. That's not a stat that you want to be at the top of the list on. Tom, if there's any prediction that I'm going to get to in what is a typical 50-50 coin flip of an 8-9 game is that you're probably looking at a score somewhere in the high 50s, low This is This has got the potential to be an ugly rock fight. So if you weren't happy with the display of quality basketball on the court at the Big East tournament, please do not be sitting next to me with your popcorn getting all grumpy as they play a rock fight down to the final possessions. You make it sound like you're this fountain of positivity when you watch these games. I wish I could release some of your text messages that I get from you. That's that's private between (laughs) you and me. You're not privileged to share that. I'll be completely looked at it in a different light. We don't need that. We don't need that. In all honesty, my typical 8-9 game, there's very little differentiation here between these two teams i mean seton hall like i said is is an early favorite by one point and tcu is predicted to win by 51.5 percent uh by the espn basketball power index so what does that tell us that tells us that it's basically anyone's game it's right down the line and you know what it's going to be one of those days that that you're going to look at and say what works we let our opponents grab offensive rebounds and they rebound well on the offensive glass. However, their shooting is weak and our defense is very strong and we've done a really good job playing that three-point line. So what's going to happen? Hey, it's going to be anyone's guess. What uh, Kevin Willard is going to complain that they only had to travel one time zone versus us traveling three time zones. No, I, you, you don't know. You know, they, if they have the whole week to prepare, they get the Friday game in the bracket. There should be no excuses about travel or preparation. Plenty of time to watch the film. I mean, we didn't even talk about who they could face in the second round. I mean, they should just be hunkered down and focus on TCU. But there's that Arizona matchup looming in the second round. And that's almost, that's a pseudo home game for Arizona playing here in San Diego, the Ajax Arena. They're going to invade that place. There's, there's no really tall this is a really tall task to ask the pirates to go beyond this first game and project out a possible upset to go to the sweet 16 if seton hall gets one game this weekend we we should be happy we should michael michael i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you a question one of those old time questions i just want you to answer me answer me honestly here mike mike why is the sky blue and white? Because God's a Seton Hall Pirate fan, Michael. That's oh, gee, why. Wow. And Would there is look- no way oh, that the geez. Pirates are going to fly out to San Diego and we're not going to be on the side of the Angels to take at least one victory, Mike. So my prediction for this coming week is that we're going to beat up on TCU and then we're going to let the chips fall where they may against Arizona. How long did you sit down looking up that the sky is blue and white and God loves the pie? How long did you have to think about that? That was, that was some weak sauce the right there. Of my head. Stop coming off the top of your head then. I don't, I don't even know what to say about that. I, I'm going to be there, man. I'm going to be screaming my head off. My wife's going to be sitting next to me going, sit down and stop making an ass out of yourself. Your wife's probably going to be doing the same thing. We're going to be screaming at Coach Willard if we're a few rows behind the, 
the bench if we can uh, find those tickets to buy. We're going to be fully engaged in this game, and we're going to be our true fandom like we always are. And yeah, of course I think they can win this game. Of course I want them to. Of course I'm going to be there again on Sunday if they win, hoping they don't get run out by 30 against Arizona. And I'll be sitting there dancing in the rows if they pull off the upset to go to the Sweet 16. But if you're asking me for a prediction, Pirates move on to the second round, and I'm just hopeful that they hold their own against the Wildcats. It, it, that's a tough one matchup that we were hoping to avoid. And, you know, once again, the January swoon has kind of painted them into a corner. They're going to have their work cut out for them, not only in the first matchup, but if they advance on into the second round. But I'm still going to be there and, and saying – we're not going to have to be on our couches this time. That's We're going to be at Viejas Arena sitting in the crowd saying, Go Pirates! Go Big Blue! Thanks for joining another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your other favorite listening platforms. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at El Coast Pirates. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 